matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. Well, as I was mentioning, I'd like to speak out of the Torah portion today, Shalach Lecha, uh, which is a wonderful, it's one of my favorite portions, but actually happens to be one of the saddest portions in Scripture uh, to me also. It's, it's the time, it's both exciting, it's the most exciting moment, one of the most exciting moments in Israel's history and one of the saddest moments in Israel's history. It's like an opportunity that was missed. Uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the description of the 12 spies that were sent forth, and shalach lecha means you shall send them out, or you shall send them. And, and so what's happened now is that Shaul read this morning from Hebrew all the different names of the leaders of the tribes of Israel who were selected to be among the 12 who would go, one from each tribe. Friends, these 12 were like, you know, the equivalent of movie stars today. They were the princes of the people. They were well-known and they were selected because they were the leaders of their tribes. They were leaders of multiple thousands of people, each of them. And so they were selected for that. And as they were selected and presented to Moses, Moses gave them some instructions and sent them forth, saying, spy out the land. And we find all of this in Numbers chapter 13. So here they are, sitting, camped, right on the edge of the land of promise. I mean, they could see it. They could feel it. They were sending 12 men in to gather some of its fruit and bring it back and bring a report. They were right on the edge. Any moment now they could go in as a nation and God would deliver it into their hands. But you kind of know the story and probably this message today is just reiterating stuff you already know, but it's okay. If it's worth hearing once, it's worth hearing twice or three times, or four times. Sometimes God wants to just remind us. Okay, do I need to hit something up here, fellas? Or not fellas, I guess. I don't know who's running it back there. F8? Or I need some instructions. Oh, it's up there. Okay, great. The majority that rules may be a majority of fools. The majority voice is not always the voice to listen to. That's why we are encouraged over and over and over again. I don't know how to emphasize this enough. The Word of God is the foundation for our life and decision-making process. If everybody's screaming, do something that is against the Word of God, don't do it because it's a majority of fools. The subtitle of this message is The Few, The Brave, The Faithful. Even when there's a majority of fools who are yelling and screaming and trying to convince everybody that what they're saying is true and right, there are always the few, the brave, and the faithful. The Scripture calls them, or us, if we could fit in that category, the remnant. The remnant. comes from our portion again, Parashat HaShavuah, Shalach Lacha, found in Numbers chapters 13 through 15. So here we have an opportunity missed, the 12 spies. My friends, this is probably one of the clearest 
stories in Scripture of an opportunity missed. Sometimes we rationalize our, you know, our, in our own minds the opportunities we've had and we've missed, saying, oh, well, the Lord will bring it around again. That may be true, but it may not. Sometimes we only get one opportunity at something that the Lord presents to us. And if it has to do with the promises that he's bringing us into, we really need to pay attention to what he said to us originally. And what he may have said originally may have been clouded or somewhat dissipated by voices, by senses, things that we've seen, things that we've heard, different opinions. Nonetheless, we must be driven back to what God said to us in the beginning. What he said to Israel is found in Numbers chapter 13, verse 2. He said, spy out the land that I am going to give to Israel. God was very decisive. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. In fact, I want you to notice God did not even say, spy out the land that I will give to Israel if they're faithful. When God makes a promise, he simply stands on his own reputation. He doesn't depend on you or me. He stands on his own word, on his own reputation. I am going to do this. I am going to give you the land. And why does God do that? Because he doesn't want us to be nervous or insecure. You know what? All we have to do is believe him. (laughs) It sounds a little simple, but God knows we're not very smart. We need things in a simple manner. He gave them a promise. When they finished spying out the land, there were two responses. Okay, they went out, they reconnoitered, they spied out the land, they were gone. And during the time they traveled through the land, they spied out all the cities, all the people, they brought back fruit. It was the time of, uh, it was the grape season, it was when the grapes were first getting ripe on the vine, and they brought back a huge clump of grapes. In fact, it became the symbol of the nation of Israel, modern Israel. This is the first response. Belief. I believe God. But actually, you know what? I think probably that was the response before they went to the land. <laughs> I believe God. But this was, their res- this was a response, one of the two responses, coming back from the land. Belief. That is faith or trust. And the two who expressed this were Caleb and Joshua. And they said in verse 30, We should by all means go up immediately and take the land. We shall overcome. Those are words of faith, my friends. Those are based on belief. Belief in what? Belief in the promise that God made. I am going to give you this land. Not belief in themselves. You know, Caleb was a strong guy. Even when he was in the 80s, he said, Give me the hill country. I'm going to take it. It's mine. He was a strong guy, but he was not believing in himself. In fact, later on in in this passage, in this Torah portion, he is described as a man who has a different spirit. He's led by a different spirit. What is that spirit? It is the spirit of the living God. So these are words of faith, trust. These are words based on belief in God's promise. We should by all means go up, and we should go up immediately right now and take the land. Let's not hesitate. Let's go do it. We shall overcome all of our enemies. Here's the second response, as you would expect. Unbelief. The ten foolish spies came back with unbelief. You know what? They might have left with belief. I don't know how much. 
We know that someone came to Yeshua and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, I've been walking with Yeshua now for over 30 years, and sometimes I still pray that prayer. I wish I was over it. <laughs> but sometimes I still go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I believe, but oh God, help my unbelief. The ten foolish spies came back and said, we are not able to go up. Well, that was wise, based on true knowledge. It says, they are too strong for us. All of that was true, but these were words that were faithless. Faithless without faith. All of the words were true. It doesn't mean when you speak something that's without faith that the words are not true. You don't have to lie to be without faith, my friends. You can speak the truth and be without faith. But the truth as seen through their own eyes. Not seen through God's eyes or seen through the eyes of faith and trust. So they said to the crowd, to all of Israel, we are not able to go up. They are too strong for us. How true. But they were looking through their own natural eyes. Joshua and Caleb were looking through eyes of faith because they believed God and his promise. Must a fool return to his folly? Oh, it's a dog's life. From Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. When someone is a fool to start with and learns a lesson and becomes wise, that person is not, does not live a dog's life. He does not return to his foolishness or his folly. But when a fool does not become wise and remains foolish... He always returns to his folly, to the same foolishness he's already committed, maybe in a different form, and it always has terrible consequences. Must a fool return to his folly? My answer is not necessarily. If you don't remain foolish, if you become wise, and what is the beginning of wisdom? The Scripture tells us the fear of the Lord, the fear of Adonai. It's the beginning of wisdom. So what were these fools lacking? They were lacking the fear of the Lord, my friends. They were named among Israel. They were princes among the people. They were stars. But they were lacking in the fear of the Lord. From Psalm 53, verse 1, the fool in his heart says, what? There is no God. My friends, you know, there are people who run around saying there is no God and believe it. And the Bible calls these people fools. In fact, I boldly confronted my dad years ago after he had been shot in a holdup and he was lying in his bed and I'd been reading him scriptures and scriptures and scriptures. You know, I just, I don't know how much of the Bible I read to him because he was captive audience. He couldn't get away from me. My dad was an atheist. He was a Holocaust survivor and he'd come out of the war not believing that God existed because how could God do this to our people if he was really there? Many, many Jews came out of the Holocaust believing that. The end of the story with my dad is he came to faith in Yeshua before, three months before he passed away. But when I went to my dad a year later, after he'd recovered and he was up and around and I was driving him around and I was talking to him about God and about Yeshua, he says, Marty, I'd like to believe what you believe. I just can't do it. There is no God. I said, Dad, and I read him the scripture. I read him Psalm 53. I said, Dad, King David said in Psalm 53... The fool says in his heart that there is no God. I mean, that was sort of a bold thing to say to your dad. But in this case, the fool says in his heart that there is no God, and I want you to take a closer look at these ten spies. Just because someone is of Israel 
even if someone's a leader in Israel, doesn't make them one who believes in the God of Israel. And it's unfortunate, isn't it? Because these ten spies, as well as the rest of the congregation, have now seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Not only the ten miracles that were performed in Egypt, but the miracle of leaving Egypt, the, the, the dividing of the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, then being led in the wilderness under a cloud by day and a fire by night, hearing the words of God at Mount Sinai as he spoke the, the Ten Commandments to the, to the house of Israel, to the people of Israel, as God purified water so that they could drink it, as God provided manna from heaven. This is the people that were exposed to all these miracles, and here are the ones who come back and say in their own way, there is no God. Oh, it didn't, come out that in, it didn't come out in those words, but that's what they meant. Now, there may be some people that we know who say there is a God, but they act like there is no God. Do you know anybody like that? And there may be someone who says there is no God, but they act like there is a God. Hmm, some food for thought, isn't it? He may say with his mouth, God is real, but in his heart, he does not believe. And what does, I wrote that little word do next to it, because when you believe something, you do something about it. Faith is not faith alone. It's, it's in fact, if you don't act on your faith, it's dead faith. It won't help you. It's not real faith. I just wrote down a few scriptures for you. I'm not going to turn to them, but in case you're taking notes, you might want to look them up later. In, in Genesis 15, 6, God, Abraham believes God, and God uh, counts it to him as righteousness. And then Rav Shaul quotes that verse in Romans chapter 4, verse 22, declaring you have to have faith in your heart for salvation. And then back to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, we have the whole story of the Akedah, or the binding of Isaac, when Abraham in his old age obeys the Lord and takes Isaac up to sacrifice him to Mount Moriah, which became the Temple Mount later. And then James quotes this very scripture again, and he says, look, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, but then God proved his faith through Abraham's obedience to the call in, the, in his old age when he offered up Isaac. Wouldn't it be nice to think that, look, once we walk with God for 50 years, that he's not going to test us anymore? Wouldn't it be nice? Okay, look, I have a goal, or 30 years, or whatever. You know, I've been walking with, with, with Yeshua for over 30 years now, sometimes limping, but walking. You know, it would have been nice for me to have this goal. If I just walk with the Lord for 30 years, then I'll be on easy street in faith. You know, by 30 years, you would think, you know, I would have the faith thing down, and, and I believe God, and no more trials. I'm just sailing along with God. In fact, if he wants, he can just take me up like he did Enoch. But no, Abraham who was now probably 130 years old, was again tested by God when God said, bring your son, your only son, to the mountain I will show you, and you will sacrifice him there. Oh my goodness. Abraham's been walking with God for at least 60 years by now. Is there any hope for us? Sure, absolutely. Abraham passed the test. He believed God. He passed the test. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. This is what we get. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. In verse 11 of Romans 10, for the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
Wouldn't it be nice if the Scripture says, whoever believes in Dave Piles, or whoever believes in Charles Christian, or whoever believes in T.R. Porterfield? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Let me suggest to you, whoever believes in a man will be disappointed. But the Scripture says, whoever believes in him, in the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Holy One of Israel, the light to the nations, whoever believes in him, in Yeshua, will not be disappointed. And it's a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. I'll, I'll read you that, that Scripture from Isaiah. Therefore, thus says Adonai Elohim, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. This almost sounds like uh, AA in the 12-step program. You know, you can believe in anything as long as it's a higher power than you in the 12-step program. And I'm not knocking anything. I know some of you have been delivered from alcoholism through that and maybe drugs. But here, in this case, God is saying through Isaiah, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, and I want you to believe in the stone. Is the stone the higher power? My friends, everything in Scripture speaks of Yeshua. Let's finish the Scripture, or let's look a little further. In Psalm 118, verse 22, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So in Isaiah 28, Isaiah prophesies and says, Whoever believes in the stone will not be disappointed. But the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What is this stone or who is the stone? It's been interpreted all over the place. Just one scripture is in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Yeshua, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone stone. My friends, when we're talking about belief and trust and faith, then we have to believe that God said he was going to send a deliverer to us, send a Messiah, one who delivers us out of our sin, according to Isaiah 53. And this one that was rejected is Yeshua. But not all rejected him. Some believe. Back to the 12 spies, the whole congregation reacts. The whole congregation reacts. This is the sad part. The whole congregation had been delivered out of Egypt. The whole congregation walked through the, through the um, Red Sea on dry land. The whole congregation stood at Mount Sinai and heard the voice of the Lord. The whole congregation were sheltered by the cloud by day and warmed by the fire by night. The whole congregation ate manna that was raining down from heaven. The whole congregation. At the end of the Torah, Moses finally says, Choose, uh, he doesn't say choose, I'm sorry. Yes, he does. He says, choose life. He says, the Lord has set before you life and death. He says, choose life. My friends, I guess I'm not necessarily a five-point Calvinist. Maybe if his name was Calvinistine. I'm not necessarily a five-point Calvinist. Now, God is sovereign, but somehow he's made room for us to have a choice. These people... The the congregation of Israel were influenced by foolishness. And we can be too. We should never sit here smugly. We can be influenced by foolishness. We, We believe God. We've seen one miracle after another. We've seen him deliver us into life. 
but somehow we can be influenced by foolishness and make foolish choices. And perhaps the lesson, the primary lesson of today's message is be discerning and make wise choices in the Lord. Believe God. All the people wept all night. They fell into this sad kind of self-pity. Oh, God led us right up to the promised land, but is not giving it to us. Maybe we feel that way sometimes, but let me just describe to you, at least here, this is the way of the Lord. He brings us up to a promise that he's given to us, but the promise is bigger than we can attain on our own strength. If, Israel, if the spies had come back and said, oh man, it's so good, everybody in the land is a midget. There are no fortified cities. It's a piece of cake. Let's go. Where would the people have been? How would they believe God? How would we ever be tested and our faith proven in God if the promises aren't bigger than we can attain on our own? So the people wept all night because they thought that God had forsaken them. And all the people began to grumble against Moshe and Aaron, the leadership of the community. Isn't it strange? When we, by our own choices and our own actions, we have... Uh, We find ourselves in tight places. All of a sudden, we look for someone else to blame. We don't look at ourselves. We look for someone else to blame. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. They began to say, we wish that we would have died in Egypt or in the wilderness. This came out of their mouths. It's recorded in Scripture. And you know what? They're going to get their wish. They don't know it, but they're going to get their wish. My friends, maybe we should be very careful what we wish for or what we speak forth whether it's coming out of faith or unbelief. We wish that we would have died in the wilderness. And they go on to say, and it's our children who are going to suffer here. And, you know, we're going to go in and fight and we're going to be killed. And then they're going to come and ravage our children. Well, nothing further would be from the truth. In fact, their children, they're going to be the ones who end up taking, going into the land and believing God. So here they are. Now they finally came out of their self-pity. They stopped grumbling. And now they said, okay, this is the answer. Let's appoint new leadership and return to Egypt. Hey, great plan. Great plan. But if it looks like we're hitting a roadblock in one direction, oh, let's appoint new leadership and go in the other direction. Great plan. What are Moses and Aaron? Chop liver? That's a Jewish saying. You could, you know, you could laugh. No, Moses and Aaron are God's appointed and anointed leaders. And under the anointed leadership of Moses and Aaron, they run into a huge roadblock which requires faith, belief, trust to overcome. And this is not the first time for Moses. What is he, like a bad leader? Always, always leading Israel into places of impossibilities. You know, coming up on the Red Sea. Oy, you let us, what a navigator you are. You led us to the only place we can't cross. Yeah, terrible leadership. Oh, maybe it's the leadership that was listening to the Lord and God wanted to do something for the people. Unbelief, as I mentioned earlier, wants to blame others for the result of their own doubtful actions. It's sad, but it's true. It's part of human nature. It's part of who we are in the natural. But there's still hope. There's belief in grief. Here, Joshua and Caleb saw what was happening. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes. And this is what they said. The land is an exceedingly good land. My friends, you have to get this picture. Here are these two spies out of 12. Two leaders out of 12 leaders who are saying one thing. 
And the other ten, the majority, are saying a completely opposite and other spoken word. And these guys are now watching this word that was spoken by the ten foolish spies of unbelief. These words of unbelief now are affecting the whole Kelah, the whole congregation. And these guys who are walking in faith are watching it. And they're weeping and they're they're crying and they're tearing their clothes because they know they're about to miss the greatest opportunity that God has set before them. That is to take the land and obtain the promises that he has made. And so Joshua and Caleb, they tear their clothes. The tailors loved them. And the words they were speaking even in their grief, because by now they're grieving. By now they're seeing all the people of Israel crying and weeping and grumbling and yelling for new leadership, and they're grieving. And even in their grief, they're walking by faith and they're saying, no, the land is great. God has given it to us. Let's take it. That takes some faith, some guts rooted in faith to keep speaking those things. And they further said, if Adonai is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land. If Adonai is pleased with us. This word if is now introduced. God didn't introduce it. God said, I am giving you the land I've promised to you, to your forefathers. But now the word if is introduced. Why? Because now it's doubtful that the people have any strength at all in faith to take the promise. So he says, if Adonai is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land. And we have a little clue in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that it is impossible to please the Lord without faith. So if God is pleased with us, he will give it to us, but it's impossible to please him without faith. The same thing holds true for us, my friends. It's impossible to please the Lord apart from faith, apart from true belief and trust in him, trusting in his word. Caleb and Joshua's final words in verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people. Their protection has been removed from them. The enemies. These guys truly believed God, and they continued to speak to the people. They said, by no means rebel against the Lord. Now what have they been doing? What have the people been doing? They haven't said a word about the Lord. <laughs> they haven't said anything about God. They've only been grumbling about Moses and Aaron and and the wilderness, and let's go back to Egypt, and let's get new leadership, and etc., 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 etc. They haven't said a word about God, but how does Joshua, how do Joshua and Caleb interpret it? Don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people. Their protection has been removed because their words, their grumbling, all their, all their pain and anguish, that was all coming out of unbelief. The Word of God tells us, hold up the shield of faith that we might extinguish every fiery dart of the evil one. What are those fiery darts? They hit you in that place of unbelief. You have one little chink in your armor of faith. They hit you right in that place of unbelief. And what happens? You begin to weep and say, oh, God has left me. Or that person, or this, or my situation, or this, or that. Whatever it is. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people. Their protection has been removed. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 says, In hope against hope, Abraham believed the promise of God. What was the promise to him? When Abraham was 100 years old, my friends, God came along and promised him a son and said, 
many nations will come from this boy. A hundred. Sarah was 99. Well past childbearing years. And yet, God comes along and he says, Abraham, he doesn't even mention his age. He says, Abraham, next year you're going to have a son. Sarah laughed. Abraham believed God and said, okay. And God says, you're going to name him Isaac because it means laughter because Abraham, because Sarah laughed. Sometimes there's hope. We hope against hope. You know what that means? It looks, the situation looks so bleak. It looks like there's no hope. And yet we we choose to continue to hope in God and in the promise that He made. Not in our ability to achieve the promise, but the promise that He made that He will stand by. After all, He's defending His word, not my strength. I received an email this week from a member, and in it, he wrote some things I just felt were interesting enough to, to share with you. He didn't know what message I was bringing. He had no idea. But something was just happening to them in their life. Isn't it amazing, he writes, how our Lord will take our trail of trials and turn them into a victory dance if we just put our trust in him. Now this man, I was talking to him on the phone this week, and his wife works in a jewelry store, and, she, and the store had just been held up, and the gunman held his wife at gunpoint, gun pointing to her head. He didn't shoot her, thank God, but she was extremely shaken. And I talked to him just a few minutes after this. And then he writes, he writes this to me. Also in his email, he said, A dear friend once told me, Thanksgiving is a train that brings its mighty load into victory. Rav Shaul writes, In everything give thanks, because this is God's will for you. Now those are difficult words. They easy, easily roll off somebody's tongue. In everything give thanks, because this is God's will for you. But when you're in the midst of trial, this is very, very difficult. But it's the Word of God, and the Lord steadies us even in trial with His Word and gives us a way out, gives us a way through. Not always out, a way through sometimes. And the opposite may be true. Now, these are my words. The opposite may be true. Our trials may overcome us when we are devoid of trust. So here we find Israel in quite a dilemma. After Joshua and Caleb are done speaking their words of faith in their grief, Israel doesn't listen they pick up stones. They're in the desert. There are lots of stones. Those of us who just came back from Israel, we were in the desert. We know there are lots of stones and big ones. Lots of stones. They picked up stones to stone Moses and Aaron. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm just the God-appointed leader. Don't blame me. No, they picked up stones in their own pain, but in their own unbelief. They picked up stones to stone Moses and Aaron. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord appears at the tent of the meeting. They had their stones in hand, my friends. Their stones were in their hands, and God shows up. Aha! Caught you, red-handed. They put their stones down in the presence of God because the glory of the Lord appeared. All of a sudden, they see the Lord with their eyes again, so they have some kind of fear of God again. Remember I mentioned last week Yeshua's words to Thomas. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. The fear of the Lord has to be something stronger than we get with our eyes or with our ears only. There has to be, it has to affect our hearts. It has to live on. In verse 11, verses 11 and 12, Adonai said, How long will they not believe in me despite all the signs that I have performed? Friends, I've said this many times, and it's probably, maybe I've overset it, but we don't believe because of signs. We, 
Our faith doesn't, is not sustained by signs. And those of, those of us who continue to look for signs and miracles day after day will not be able to sustain a true foundational faith. That faith, that living faith in our hearts goes on, whether we see signs, wonders, miracles, or not. It doesn't mean that God stops performing, but he says, look, I've shown them all my signs, and they still don't believe. Yeshua said something similar. When he came to the people of Israel, he says, okay, look, you don't believe me. Believe the signs that you've seen in front of your eyes. But they didn't even believe that. It says, show us a sign. And he said, well, I am the sign. In verse 13, he says, I will destroy them. God says, I will destroy them and make you, Moses, into a nation greater than they. And Moses responds, no, 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 Lord. I wonder how many of us would have taken that position. If God was angry with us and spoke to someone here and said, okay, I'm going to destroy this Keilah and I'm going to make you the chosen vessel and out of you I will make a great Keilah, a great congregation. Yes! That's the response most of us would give. Moses says, no, by no means, Lord, do that. And he begins to pray. Moses begins to pray. He begins to intercede. Verses 13 through 20 are his intercession and God's response. And he spends 40 days fasting and praying before the Lord on behalf of the people who were getting ready to stone him. My friends, it's easy to intercede for the people we love. And I guess Moses must have continued to love them. But how about the people who are ready to stone you? How about the people who are speaking evil against you? Can we intercede? You know what? This call of faith, this call of walking by faith is not so easy, is it? God's response at the end of the 40 days of Moses' intercession was, I have pardoned them according to your word, Moses. Can you get that? God relinquished because Moses interceded on behalf of those who were trying to kill him. Intercession and forgiveness, is there a link? Absolutely. In Job chapter 42, verse 8, we read these words. Now therefore go to my servant Job. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Job's three friends, so-called friends. Three so-called friends who tell Job that, man, you're, you must have really screwed up because you're a mess. God has taken everything from you. Why don't you just pack it up and die? Finally, in the end, God is speaking, and he says, Go, therefore, go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him, so that I may not do with you according to your folly this foolishness, this unbelief in God, because you have not spoken right of me and as my, as my servant Job has. So God was saying, okay, you guys, if you don't want to have the judgment of the Lord, you better go to Job, and he's going to pray for you so that I can forgive you. So the enemies of Job, his so-called friends, who were really his enemies because of their unbelief, were about to receive judgment, and God says the only way to avert judgment is to have the one, your victim, pray for you. Yeshua did this. We read in Luke 23, 34, and other places in the Gospels. Yeshua prayed, saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. What were they doing? They were nailing him to a tree. They were killing him. The life giver, the son of the living God, the Mashiach, the Messiah, they were killing him. And he says, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Was Yeshua's intercession effectual? 
<laughs> Have you ever asked yourself that question? Did God forgive them? Well, it's enough to ponder. I'm not going to give you the answer. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, we read some amazing words of God's faithfulness to Israel, to his people. Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is the verse that, that has kind of spiked the tradition that we call Tashlik, which happens at Rosh Hashanah when we cast pieces of bread into a river or something for the, our, as our sins for God to carry them away. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. This is the God that we love and serve, my friends. So, the majority that rules. Will it be a bunch of fools, or will it be faithful people? We just need to check our own heart. Though we be few, we stand in the strength of Yeshua. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Messiah Yeshua. Did you hear that? Though we be few in number and the majority are speaking something else, we need to remember to stand in the strength of Yeshua because nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Him. Though we be outnumbered, we are called to be brave by faith. Be strong and courageous, keeping your eyes focused on Yeshua so that we don't lose heart. Hebrews chapter 12. By the way, the first reference comes from Romans chapter 8. Last Though seeming impossibilities face us, remain faithful. Faithful means full of faith because we walk by faith and not by sight. When God described Caleb in this Torah portion, he said he was a man of a, with a different spirit, but he also said he followed me fully. He was full of faith to follow God fully. I put Marty G. down there because I just got an email saying that uh, Marty gets his wife Jennifer has just been diagnosed with cancer. He's asking for prayer, and I believe we should pray. Uh, got an emergency phone call also this morning from um, a message from Dan Juster saying that Patty, who had a heart surgery about 12 days ago, was rushed back to the hospital this morning because she'd been suffering with heart pains all night. So she's in the hospital, and her vital signs are, are, are all good, but they can't figure out what the problem is. These people are calling for prayer because they know they need to stand in faith. In the time of their trial, Marty Getz's letter, I thought was an, sort of an amazing letter in the midst of this incredibly horrible news, quoting scripture after scripture and saying, we're going to stand, we're going to believe God, we're going to stand in the, in, in the Lord and in the strength of his might, etc., etc. And that's what God is calling us to do. Even in the face of impossibilities, remain faithful. That is full of faith. If you need to, shut your eyes and walk by faith and not by sight. Father, we just pray in Yeshua's name for the few, for the brave, for the faithful. And ask, Lord, that you would increase your strength among us. Lord, that you'd help us to be strong and courageous, keeping our eyes focused on Yeshua. Adonai, that you would help us remain faithful even when confronted with, with great trials. Faithful to you, to believe you. Thank you, Lord, for Yeshua, our Messiah. Thank you for loving us so much that you didn't even spare your own son 
But Yeshua gave his own life as an atonement for us that we might have the forgiveness of our sins in you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. If, Lord, Yeshua has reconciled us and you loved us even before that, how much more will you love us in the position of reconciled sons and daughters? Thank you, Lord. We bless you for your faithfulness in Yeshua's name. Amen.